Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts, bless us, direct us, and send us out. Living letters of the word. Amen. Please be seated. The summer between my first and second years in seminary, I participated in an internship at a retirement home in downtown Washington, D.C., and there were several seminarian interns serving there that summer, all from different faith traditions. But each week, one of the interns was tasked with organizing and hosting a worship service in the chapel for the more independent residents. And when my week came up, I did what any unordained good Episcopalian would do and planned a very traditional morning prayer with all of the usual readings and collects. But after the service was over, one of the other interns asked me why I had chosen the scripture passages that were read and reflected on that day. And I replied that they, those were simply the readings for the day, as assigned by the lectionary, that multi-year cycle of scripture passages that determine what we read each week. But she challenged me a little bit, and she said, why didn't you let the Holy Spirit put something on your heart? And I don't remember how I responded. That would have made a much better story. But that remark has stuck with me all these years later. And as good Episcopalians, we could be more present to the Holy Spirit and aware of how the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives and in our community. But also, I am very grateful for the lectionary. For if I got to choose the readings every week, all of you would be colossally bored in very short order because I would be tempted to read my favorite passages again and again and again. And while I love the burning bush and the prodigal son and the eighth chapter of Romans where Paul opines about how nothing can separate us from the love of God, you might tire from hearing sermons about them. So I am thankful for this tool that we use that broadens our exposure to the scripture each week. But the flip side of the lectionary is that sometimes we are presented with a passage or group of passages that can be quite dark or disturbing or downright confusing. And then since I am currently without an associate to whom I can unfairly assign those passages, <laughs> I must reflect on a passage like today's reading from the Gospel of Mark. We are in a new liturgical season, the season after Pentecost. And the great drama of Jesus' earthly ministry beginning in Advent and continuing through Christmas and Epiphany and then Lent and Easter and final, the, finally the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that ark has come to an end. And now in this summertime, we are in the season after Pentecost, and on Sundays we will hear the many parables and healings and stories of Jesus' earthly ministry. 
And sometimes those stories are wonderful and warm and something right out of our first Bibles when we were little kids. But sometimes we are presented with something much odder and much more difficult to process, like today's reading from Mark. We are in the third chapter of Mark, and at this time, Jesus' ministry has taken off like a rocket. He has exercised demons, he has healed the sick, his preaching has been so powerful that he has started to preach from a boat so he could leave the crowds on the shore, because if he was on the land with them, they would overwhelm and surround him. And so in this third chapter, Jesus decides to go home. But instead of among his kinfolk, instead of finding family and friends who welcome him back home, he finds a people divided. Some have accepted this good news that this Jesus, whom they saw grow up, is the Messiah, the Son of God, the fulfillment of all the prophecies and hopes of the past. But some are downright confused. Who is this guy? Where did he come from? And who are these odd group of people that keep following him around and and hanging on his every word? What the heck is going on around here? I had a nice little Roman-occupied first-century life carved out for myself with 2.2 kids and a three-bedroom in the suburbs. And this Jesus guy comes in out of nowhere and starts to confuse everybody. And these religious authorities, these scribes that had come down from Jerusalem, they are extremely upset. Some of them believe that Jesus is possessed by Satan himself. And some are already plotting to have Jesus killed. Not exactly a picture from our childhood Bible this morning. But as always, we can find some illumination and perhaps even some comfort from Jesus' words. Jesus says, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Jesus is calling those first century Palestinians to drop their divisions and their prejudices and their fears, which are being laid bare in their reaction to Jesus, and instead come together under the banner of God's love. And this is a mission of incredible enormity, to be sure, but Jesus never did anything halfway. Later on this, in this same reading, the Gospel reports that then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now this at first might seem a little rude, How could Jesus treat his mama this way? But this is not a rejection of his biological family, but rather an incorporation of all people into the family of God. 
that regardless of our differences, regardless of our disagreements, regardless of who we cheer for on Saturday or where we work on Monday or who we vote for on Tuesday, we are all brothers and sisters today in Christ Jesus. Now, I could end there. I could say amen, and I could sit down, and the sermon would be over, and we'd all get to lunch early. A great idea for a summer Sunday morning. But, as a friend of mine would say, this is a multiple amen sermon. Not because it is so inspiring that it might inspire you to shout amen, although you are more than welcome to do so. But there are multiple moments when it could and perhaps should end. For it would be very easy for a preacher to stand up here and say, let's all be one big family, and end it at that. And spiritual unity is certainly our goal, and it is what we will know when we come to our reward. But today, in this 21st century, we struggle with a world that is even more divided, more conflicted, more diverse than the world that Jesus walked in. And finding such unity in our time is a profound challenge. So how do we begin? In such times, I wonder about humanity's tendency when trying to unify, when trying to get together, is to try to do it so quickly and try to force everyone to fall in line that when we do, we easily fall prey to the temptation of choosing sides and declaring who is inside and who is outside. We can do a very good job of pointing out fault and assigning correctness. Now, let me cover my posterior for a moment. For many of Mississippi's most excellent lawyers are among us. And judgment is a healthy and necessary thing for the ordering of a common life. And defining boundaries is vital and good. Ask any parent. No, don't touch daddy's hot coffee. Don't put that thing in your mouth that just fell on the floor. Please do not throw dinosaurs at your sister. Not that I have said all three of those things in the past 24 hours. Those are just examples. <laughs> but as Christians, we are called to tread very carefully and very conscientiously in the realm of who is right and who is wrong. And we as a church, especially those of us up front in these silly-looking clothes, we have done a bit too much pointing and far too little reflecting. But the good news is that our gospel, especially this gospel of Mark, gives us some direction in this matter. For as we strive for unity, as we attempt to see each other as brothers and sisters, as we long for the reign of God, we must always remember first and foremost to follow Christ. Not this is right and this is wrong or she is right and he is wrong, 
but how can I best follow Jesus in this moment? If you're like me, I've sometimes made fun of those WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? But actually, if we take it to heart, it's not a bad attitude to have. And as Christians, we are called to be a bit more humble and trust in the sovereignty of God and God alone. We must recognize that while in some situations will be black and white, others will be quite gray. And we must approach the challenges of community through prayer and through humility, trying our best but trusting in God, hoping that we are doing good, moving towards that blessed unity in God, but knowing that in all of these efforts, God will be with us. So let us begin. Amen.